Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. <coughs> and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write these things. I'm sorry, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy work. Though thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So, because thou art lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich, and have gotten riches, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art the wretched one, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold refined by fire, that thou mayest become rich, and white garments, that thou mayest clothe thyself, and that, thy shame, that the shame of thy nakedness be not made manifest. And I solve to anoint thine eyes, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I reprove and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will... Come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me. He that overcometh, I will give to him to sit down with me in my throne, as I also overcame, and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. Now, I've not got a very easy message to bring to you this morning, and I want you to try and forget that I belong here, because it's not a very easy thing to speak freely when you are known very well by people and when you know them very well. People always think you're getting at them. I just want to forget this morning for myself, just, just think of it as if I was somewhere else that I have been. I want to bring to you a message from, the, from what the Lord had to say to the church at Laodicea. This church was a very fine church indeed. It is not what many of you think. If you went there, you would perhaps think there was a spiritual poverty. There was much that would um, uh, cause you to feel, oh dear, there's something unhappy here, there's something wrong. No, not at all. If you went to the Laodicean church, you would be very, very impressed. Impressed by the prosperity, the obvious prosperity. Impressed by the obvious numbers that there were there. Impressed by the well-oiled organization that somehow or other just uh, went on and on in a beautifully harmonious way. By the routine, by the much activity, by the many meetings. You would be above all impressed by the knowledge of the church at Laodicea. Everyone had such a knowledge of God's word. They seemed to know. And furthermore, you would also be very impressed by the experience of the church at Laodicea. For this is not a chapel. And it's not just a collection of Christians. It was a true church according to the New Testament. The people were true believers. They knew the Lord. And you will remember that there is a reference elsewhere in the New Testament to the church at Laodicea in no lesser letter than the letter to the Colossians where Paul says that as he pours out his heart in one of the greatest revelations of the fullness of Christ, he says, see that this letter is read to the church at Laodicea, and do you also read the letter I write to them? 
In other words, these people were like the church of Ephesus. They had a history. They, they had a revelation. They were a true church constituted by the Holy Spirit. And they had been and were a functioning church of God. Here then is the Laodicean church. And there is something else about the Laodicean church. We could say that it was the church of the Middle Age spread. For you see, in its beginning, it had had something truly of God in its youth. It had been full zeal. It had evidently um, really been utterly devoted to the Lord. Now, it was sinking back. It had come to the place where it was resting. It was sort of spreading out. It was quiet. Now, there are a number of things that I want to speak about from this passage. What was it really that the Lord put his finger on? What was the root of the trouble? Because I think that you and I are going to find that uh, as we look at this church of Laodicea, it's very, very uncomfortable. It's like a mirror. We begin to see features in the mirror that are none other than the features of our own hearts, of our own faces, as it were. We begin to see, as we look in the mirror, features of our own company, let alone any company elsewhere. What is the thing that the Lord puts his finger on and says, this is the root? Listen. So... He says, because thou sayest, I am rich, and have gotten riches, and have need of nothing. What's that? Pride. Pride is the root of all sin. It's the root of all departure. As soon as pride begins to develop unconsciously so often in our hearts, it shuts Christ down. Every kind of evil comes in the train of pride. What was it that began the fall? The pride of Lucifer. When he said, I will be like the most high. What is the poison that he, has inje he injected into Eve and then into Adam? That they might become equals with God. What is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil over against that tree of life? It is a kind of constitution that can grow and grow and grow in knowledge and become more and more self-sufficient and more and more independent. You see, you and I have partaken of the tree of life. We have taken Christ, and yet there's so much of the old tree of the knowledge of good and evil in us. We have this capacity for increasing knowledge and not practice. We have this unbelievable capacity for filling our brains with doctrinal material and living an absolute contradiction. There have been people who this very morning have taken the bread here in this company and drunk the wine, and yet there are people in this very room that they can't talk to, that they can't really work with, that they can't love. Let alone other Christians outside of this company that there is bitterness toward or strain or tension. My dear friend, what absolute nonsense it is to take the bread and to take the wine and say, look here, we are one. All one in Jesus. 
And then there's someone somewhere who's a child of God that we know can't really get on. We've got to avoid. We've got to evade. Here's the church of Leipzig. Pride. Pride. I am rich. What is the thing that lies behind criticism? What is the thing that lies behind the passing out of judgment on others? You know that you're not conscious of it. But it betrays one thing, pride. You and I think we're at such a stage we can pass judgment on children. We can say things about them. We can record stories. We can pass on little incidents. Pride. I am rich. Well, if we were talking with the Laodicean church, you see, many of them would talk like this. Well, they wouldn't say I'm rich. They would say, oh, we've got so much of the Lord here. Do feel sorry for you where you go. We've got so much. I don't think so and so seen. <coughs> Superiority. Superiority. I am rich. Gotten riches in need of Here then the Lord puts his finger upon something in all our lives and in our life together which is the root of nearly all trouble. It's not only pride that comes out of superiority, it's pride of attainment. I am rich, that's superiority. Others are poor, I am rich. But there's another, I've gotten riches. The pride of attainment. Feel, well, we've got somewhere. We are as a standard. Where others aren't, you see. We've gotten riches. Mark it. Not only am I rich, but we've gotten riches. Attainment. And you see, things. It's become the things. It's no longer Christ. We've gotten riches. We've got the things. They may be doctrine. It may be experiences. It may be, you know, just truths. We've gotten things, you see. Very proud of the things we've gotten. And you'll note, too, that there is sufficiency. We have need of nothing. Oh, I heard when I was away that some people thought, had said very airily, that they wouldn't come to the, the, the times of prayer every night because they couldn't see the point. You poor child of God. Have you not read in scripture that it says, They that seek me, they shall find me? Do you really think then that you've got everything? And there's no need to humble yourself and get on your knees. Why does the Lord say to every church, repent? How do you repent? You've got everything? How can you repent? How can you repent? By getting on your knees and seeking the Lord. You think you've got everything? You're going to wake up one day when you're in heaven to find you've got very little. 
Of course you've got everything in Christ, but you need to get on your knees and you need to ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what you've got. Oh, I have need of nothing. Because it's a finished work. We know that. Of course the Holy Spirit has been given. We know that. Of course we know that the Lord's great purpose stands secure and far. We know that. But have you ever noticed that the people that just stress back on all that God have got nothing? No. We can all hide, evade behind saying that we don't agree with this or we don't agree with that or the doctrine. We're not quite sure about the theology of it or the doctrine of it and all the rest of it. My dear friend, the point really is this. The thing we want to avoid is not the doctrine or the theology of it. It's the cost. Middle-age spread. It's the cost. Spiritual middle-age spread. That's all. We don't want the sacrifice. We don't want the cost. We don't want the pain. We don't want the agony. The church of Laodicea has got everything. They want it just to float on like that, you see. Everything nice. Everything lovely. They've got it all. Christ was in the midst. Didn't he say he'd be in the midst? The Holy Spirit had come. Wasn't there a Pentecost uh, two or three generations ago? Well, we've got it all. Why bother? Let's go on. Haven't we got nice meetings? Haven't we got lots of good ministry? Haven't we got a Bible? But underneath it all was pride. They thought they had it. Now just wait. What is the result of pride? Now mark it. There are two things in which pride always comes out. First of all, lukewarmness. Oh, my dear friend, you've got everything, have you? You don't feel there's any need for you to get on your knees night by night and seek the Lord? How warm is your devotion for the Lord? Is it red hot? Is it white hot? Is it boiling? No, look at you, you're lukewarm. You've got the middle-aged spread. That's all. It's nonsense to talk in any other way. You see what I mean? The Lord says, you're not hot. You're not cold. I'd rather have you cold or hot. That's a terrific thing for the Lord to say. Do you know he'd rather have some of us absolutely stone cold? white hot, but he can't bear this ghastly compromise, this lukewarmness, this going on with everything, this routine. You see, the church of Laodicea. So the Lord says, if you don't repent, I'm going to be sick, and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. What a way to speak to children of God. My dear friends, isn't the Lord vulgar? Fancy say he's going to stick us out. What a terrible thing to say. But do you see what the Lord is really saying? You are nauseating to the Lord, that's all. You are nauseating to him. He wants to vomit. You don't like the language, do you? But that's scripture. He wants to vomit. He wants to spew you out. Because you're so nauseating to him. Because you're so respectable. You've got such a nice standard. You've got so much up here. You've got so much in your history. You've got so much experience. But the Lord is sick of you. There's another thing too. It's here, listen. Pride results not only in lukewarmness. It results in a remarkable thing. 
in this room are lukewarm. I would almost say that nearly every one of us is. And because we're lukewarm, the Lord is not in the midst. You see, the Lord is the white heat of the love of God. If you've got the Lord in the center of your life, before long, everything melts. The iceberg's gone. You're melted into perfect love that casts out fear. God is a fire. You can't get over it, dear friend. You can't get over it. God is the very fire of love. Get him in the inside, he melts everything, and bursts outside. You can't get away from that. So you see, where there's lukewarmness, Christ is outside. Here, you see, is the state of things. 
that has resulted in a lukewarmness of devotion, a lukewarmness of service, a lukewarmness of testimony. I would like to ask you a few questions. When last did you really joyfully serve the Lord? When last did you come with something to contribute that you wanted to contribute and that it was a, a real joy because the Lord When last did you speak to another person about Christ? You say you're not lukewarm? Now don't get away from it. Listen to me. Answer in your heart. When was it that you last spoke to an unsaved person about Christ? You say you're not lukewarm? Some of us haven't spoken to an unsaved person about Christ. Oh, yes, about things. But about Christ, we haven't spoken to for years. For years. When did you last speak? I've got another question. When did you last speak to another child of God about Christ? Eh? When did you last actually talk to another child about Christ? Not about the meetings. No, no, no. Not about the fellowship. No, I'm not talking. About Christ. When do you actually ask speak about Christ? When you aren't lukewarm, you don't need to get on your knee. You don't need to seek the Lord. You've got it. You've got it. Have you? You've got it? And I want you just to notice what the Lord's estimate is. A very nice looking in this mirror, is it? His estimate is fivefold. It's a good job the Lord said, I will in no wise fail thee, nor in any wise forsake thee. He says, as he looks at you, this isn't John's estimate. This is the Lord's estimate. You're wretched. Miserable. Poor. Blind. And naked. What a five-fold verdict. Wretched. Here we go out to the unsaved. To... In their wretched condition, the Lord says to us, You're wretched. Here we go out to those who are miserable, and the Lord says, You're miserable. Here we go out to those who are poor, and the Lord says, You're poor. Just wait, we might say to the Lord, Didn't your spirit say to the Apostle Paul that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Hasn't he said, My God shall supply all your needs? according to his riches in glory and Christ. Yes, yes, but the Lord says, my verdict of you is, you're poor. You're poverty-stricken. You've got it all up here, but nothing else. You've got it all in things, but not in a person. You're poor. You're blind. That must have been the most stinging thing of all to the church at Laodicea. They knew so much. They got it all. But they were blind. They were blind. I wonder what they thought about that 
when after all their Bible studies and everything else, the Lord's verdict on them was that they were blind and naked. That's a strange thing for him to say that they were naked when they were, when after all we can say they were clothed, but he says they're naked. That's the Lord's estimate. Now what is the Lord's answer to it? If that's the Lord's estimate of myself and of you, it's a pretty terrible one, isn't it? But you see, pride does just that. It strips us of our clothing. It blinds our eyes. It makes us poor. It makes us miserable. And it makes us wretched. So what is the Lord's answer? Listen. He's zealous. Zealous and repent. What is the word? It means to stir yourself up completely and repent. Got it? If you want to look at it. In verse 19. Many as I love, I reprove and chase and be zealous therefore and repent. Be zealous. Don't let this condition go on one day longer. Stir yourself up and get before the Lord. Be zealous. What does it mean to repent, my dear friends? There are many of us here that wouldn't, that that word is not in our vocabulary. We don't know what it is to repent. We're so proud, it doesn't belong to our vocabulary. It's just not in it. That's how far we've got. We're so proud. Repent, us children of God, getting in the dust before the Lord. Surely not, surely not. That's not right. It is right. The Lord says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. And if you don't repent, the Lord will vomit you out. That's not very pleasant, is it, either? What does the Lord mean? To lose our salvation? No. He'll put us out in such tribulation and fire. And either we shall come to our senses or we'll go right out altogether. The Lord's not going to have this, this lukewarmness anymore. He's not going to have this thing that calls itself a church and in which he, who is the character and the source and the meaning and the energy of it, is outside knocking like a beggar. How can he who is the head of the church knock on the door of something which is his body? But you see, my dear friends, this is just the if you are proud, our glorified Christ is our Lord. And when his church says, I am rich, I've gotten riches, and need of nothing, we're it, we've got it. Look at us, how rich we are, how we're prospering, what we've seen, our history, our experience. The Lord comes like a simple, ordinary mortal and knocks on the door. That's humility. Some of you, uh, some of us, we think that the only time the Lord was ever humble was when he was born of a virgin. My dear friends, the point is this, the character of God is humility. It is humility. He is never not humble. 
How can he possibly say, I will in no wise fail thee, nor in any wise forsake thee? Because he's so humble. Do you know that when you and I get onto the pedestal, the Lord comes almost and kneels at the feet of it. Please to get back into our mind. Fancy the Lord of glory, the glorified, risen head of the church. Fancy him knocking on the door, asking to come in. Doesn't that upset you? You and I who shut him out? Be zealous. Repent and buy. Be zealous. Stir yourself up. Take to take hold of the Lord with determination and repent and buy. What must you buy? Listen. You must buy gold refined by fire that thou mayst become rich. Oh, Lord Jesus, what words. Buy gold refined in the fire that thou mayst become rich. What is that gold? The inward character of Christ. Oh, says the Lord to the church of Laodicea, you've got it all, but you haven't got the character. You've got all the outward things, you've got the phraseology, you've got the knowledge, but you haven't got the Buy of me gold fire. It's at the cost of experience. But if only you will repent and you will buy it, you'll become rich. Oh, the manifold grace of the Lord. He won't give up the church of Laodicea. He pleads with them, Oh, come, buy this gold. I'll make you rich. I'll make you true. Have we got that inward character? We certainly haven't, if there's pride or anything else like that. The Lord says, buy. Of me gold, refined in the fire, thou mayst become rich. How do we buy it? My friends, the only thing first we can do is be zealous and repent. And the second thing is to say to the Lord, Lord, we want more of you now, not more of things, we want more of you. Now the Lord takes whatever steps are necessary to see that that gold gets into us. And the Lord will do it. And there's something else. You have to buy garments. Have you noted it? White garments that thou mayst clothe thyself. You know. The Lord could see they were naked. I'm telling you someone else who could see the church of to see it was naked. The world. There you are in your office, you're a Christian. You think you've got it. You think they all need saving, don't you? And they see that you're naked. And you think you're covered. You go out, and somehow or another they see through you. That's pride. We think we've got it. We think we're clothed. But others see we're naked. They can see our nakedness. They can see through us. That's all. The Lord says, buy of me white garments, that the shame of thy nakedness be made manifest. What does that mean? Inward character and outward character. The inward 
and the outward, going together, garments that can be seen, inward character and an outward character. And then the Lord says this, Buy of me eyes, son, that thou mayest anoint thine eyes, that thou mayest see. <laughs> the church at Laodicea thought that was one thing they didn't need. Oh, well, Lord, you know, we don't need to see. Yes, we need more of inward character. Perhaps we need white garments on the outside, but we do see. Look at that letter to the Colossians. We understand that, Lord. We've studied it and studied it and studied it. And the letter you know, that was written to us by Paul, we've studied that and studied it and studied it. We understand. No, says the Lord. You've not seen. There's all the difference between mental appreciation and apprehension and actually seeing with the eyes of your understanding. You haven't seen. You haven't seen. Then you must buy eyes out and put it on your eyes and you'll see. And then I would like you to also note that the Lord says, Be zealous, repent, buy, go, white garment, and I saw. And then he says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. What does the Lord say? Come here. Let's get together, the Lord says. And the most intimate way he puts it is having a meal having a little meal together, and over the meal no talk. Isn't that lovely? That's what the Lord wants. See, the church at Laodicea had lost its communion with the Lord. It had lost its intimacy with the Lord. Has your life? When last did you have a little meal, as it were, together with the Lord? He sat one side of the table, you sat the other, and you talked about all kinds of things. Isn't it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't say, and he will sup with me and I with him. No, he said, I will sup with him and he with me. Oh, the humility of Christ. The absence of pride. He wants to come in here and knock at the door because he wants to come in and eat with you. He wants you to give him a meal so that he can just be, I guess it were, with you. Oh, you know, in the end, it's what you get of him that matters, not what he gets of you. But you see, the Lord wants you. He doesn't want all the big routine, all the well-oiled organization, all the great activity, all the marvelous knowledge. All he wants to do is to have intimate communion with us. That's all. He wants us to stop in the busy rush and sit down and just have a little few moments of intimate communion with him. Tell him all about the troubles. Tell him about what we feel. And listen to what he's got to say to us. That's all. Church of Laodicea had long since forgotten that. He got into a glorious rut. Arms it trundled. Couldn't stop. The Lord was outside. Well, there we are. That's not a very comforting picture, is it? 
But this is the wonderful thing. Do you know how the Lord describes himself to the church at Laodicea? He says, These things saith the Amen. Now, isn't that wonderful? If he'd said it to Philadelphia, we would have all said, Well, of course. In Philadelphia, the Lord's getting his purpose. He's securing what he wants. But to the church of Laodicea, the Lord says, these things said the Amen. In other words, in spite of this unhappy condition, I am the Amen. I'm God's final word. I'm not only Alpha and Omega, but when that's finished, I'm Amen. The very last thing. All right. My dear brothers and sisters, go home now. Have your meal. Forget all that we've said. Store it away. Some of us are far too proud to accept anything that was said on this platform. Go away. Forget what has been said. And I'll tell you what will happen. In years to come, the Lord will spew us out of, that, out of his mouth. At all. No, the Lord says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit down with me in my throne. Isn't that wonderful? That's God's promise to the church of Laodicea. Oh Lord, I'm wretched, I'm miserable, I'm poor, I'm blind, I'm naked. I'll never get to the throne. Oh yes you will, says the Lord. I am the Amen, not you. I am the Amen. Be zealous. Repent. Buy. Open the door. And you'll sit down with me in the throne. In the end. There could be no more wonderful promise to a church that's fallen so far from what the Lord wanted. Now please, don't go home and think, wasn't that a wonderful word for Sister So-and-so? I do wish she'd been there. I think it was recorded. I must hint that it would be awfully good if you listen. Don't go home and say to yourself, I do hope Brother So-and-so's heard that and really on his knees. You're the one. You're the one. Who's wretched and miserable, poor, blind. You're the one that must be zealous and repent and buy and open the door. Oh, the Lord couldn't do it. Lest suddenly the trumpet of God should sound when we do not think and suddenly we're ushered into the presence of the Lord. Wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Shall we pray?